Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering here this morning, and thanks for bringing the church into a not-so-warm YMCA gymnasium. Uh, and those of you that are uh, gathering with us from your homes where it might be actually a, a little bit warmer, um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting us into your living room, your dining room. It's so good to be able to, to gather with you all to, to worship Jesus together. If uh, we've never had the opportunity to meet, my name is Jamie. Um, it's my joy. It's my privilege uh, to serve here as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. I say that every week, but I do genuinely mean it. It is a, uh, it is a great gift. It's not lost on, on me that just God's grace in my own life that he's given me the opportunity to be able to serve in this capacity, to be able to open up God's word uh, with you all this morning. In fact, that's what we're going to do here in just a moment is we're going to begin a brand new uh, series that's called Experience Belonging, and we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks the various calls throughout the scripture. Like there's this huge list of this call to one another. And what would that look like in this time, in this place? And I'll, I'll explain that more um, in just a, a few moments. But before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to take a moment, I want to read something to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 18. This has nothing to do with the sermon. This is the sermon before the sermon, all right? So um, just settle in, I guess, for a moment. But I do think it's important to be able to I want to read these words, because you have a church here that Paul's writing to, this Corinthian church. And one of the things I love about the Bible is its honesty. They're a group of people, they're a bunch of misfits and mess-ups, and they're in desperate need of God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly encouraging uh, when we see the brokenness of the world, not just out there, but in here, in my own heart, in my own life. And you have a church in Corinth that is very confused about what it looks like to have right thinking and what it looks like uh, when it comes to power. And the Apostle Paul wants to address these matters. And so he says this, beginning in verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, they demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The way of Jesus, for just a moment here, the way of Jesus is not a power grab. The way of Jesus is one of apparent loss and weakness. The way of Jesus, I'm reminded, is not simply, it is not reaching for what we think is our rights or our power or any of that. It's embracing weakness. The symbol of our religion, of Christianity, it's a cross, it's sacrifice, it's gentle, it's humble, it's Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. We could go on and on through this. And so this past week, as you all, I'm sure, were well aware of what was happening in our country, I too was paying attention to the news and I was watching and I, there were a couple things that were running through my mind. 
Um, one of them just sort of just, just dumbfounded. I was just like, what in the world is happening? And I was heartbroken, I'll speak to that in a moment. And if I'm completely honest, honestly, there was a selfish response. I was like, well, for the love, I gotta figure out now, what am I gonna say? Like, how am I gonna address this? As if the world needs Jamie's hot take on all of this. But I'll be honest, like, there's a pressure. There's just like, I, I, I don't, like, do we say something? Do we not say something? Like, what, what's going on? Because there's gonna be some that are like, hey, we gotta speak out about this. And there's some that are gonna be like, come on, we're, we're here for the church. We don't, like, we're gonna worship Jesus. Let's, let's forget about all that. And I understand both of the, those things. But I did feel compelled to speak to this. Because at the end of the day, the world doing the things that the world does, not justified, it's not right, but in some ways I can just like, okay, well, that's the brokenness of the world. But the heartbreak, and the reason I wanted to say something this morning before we get into the, this series, is seeing Jesus signs and Bible verses and Jesus flags and crosses being put up in this toxic mixture of not healthy patriotism, but a nationalism mixed with the supposed gospel of Jesus Christ. And those, those don't go together. And so it, it broke my heart in the sense that there's a world that's out there that's in desperate need of the message of Jesus, and that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, is the way of humility, of service, of sacrifice. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way of Jesus is not a power grab. Everything in the kingdom of God is upside down, that the way to find true strength is weakness. I mean, that's the story that we get to proclaim. And so when I saw that, and at the end of the day I know the reality is we can say, well, those people aren't representing us. That's not true Christianity. And sure, I, I get that. But it does remind me of the opportunity that we have as the church to put on display what it looks like to live as sacrificial followers of Jesus, to take up Jesus's posture where he would get down on his knees and he would wash people's feet, have a posture of servanthood, a posture of love, a posture of compassion. Like that's what the world needs right now. And so I wanna just pray for us. I wanna pray for us as a church, not only here at Crosspoint, but I wanna pray for the church scattered all over the globe, but in particular, even in the United States of America, a country I'm incredibly grateful for, a country I just realized, like there's so many freedoms. The fact that I have the freedom to say what I'm saying right now is a gift. But I want us to be reminded of the true gospel of Jesus. That's what we get to enter into. So let's pray, if you join me in praying. God, we thank you for the way that your kingdom works. It is upside down. It doesn't always make sense. We wouldn't have scripted it uh, the way that it happened. I would have had Jesus, you, I want you to come back. And as the Jews, they had this expectation to just destroy Rome and it's by power and might. And Jesus says, that's not the way I've come to fight this. But I'm gonna go to a cross and I'm gonna turn that very act, I'm gonna turn it upside down. What was meant for death and devastation and destruction is what actually brought our deliverance. And so Father, forgive us for the times when we think it's up to us, that it's our world to control. Forgive us for forgetting the true message of the cross. 
even if we stand and just sort of not in any agreement with what took place the other day. There's still something in the human heart, though, that wants to grab for power. And it may not look like storming the Capitol for some of us, but it's still there. I know it's in my heart, and so God, I confess that. I ask for your grace and your forgiveness and help each one of us individually and collectively to be the kind of people that embody the way of Jesus. Fueled by the love that you have for us, may we live lives of sacrifice, of generosity, of compassion. May we see ourselves as poor in spirit. May we strive for meekness. May we strive to be peacemakers. And God, would you raise up your church in this time, in this place, to put on display what it looks like to live under the true king, under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And Jesus, we love you, we serve you, we need you, we ask you to be at work. So Holy Spirit, come now and instruct us, change us, transform us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for taking a moment with me in that. And so as we, interestingly, even with everything that's going on, getting into a series that I've been praying about now for quite, quite a while, uh, something I've been excited to get into, and I'll explain this a bit more in just a moment, but as we think about this, this call to experience belonging, it's something we all long for, right? Like we long for connection, we long for community, we long, like we're created to actually bond, to attach, like all of the, those things, that's like how we've been designed. And so to help us understand that, um, I need to talk to you for some, about something that I, I learned over the past couple weeks. I watched a, a couple of different TED Talks by a guy named uh, Johan Hari, all right? He's a, a British um, uh, writer, author, investigator, all, all of that. And in his particular talk, he gave this TED Talk that's been viewed some 15 million times. So similar to the amount of sermon downloads that we have here at Crosspoint, right? And so he, he has, that wasn't that funny. No, I mean, anyway, all right, so... Um, uh, he, he's just been, it's kind of this video that's just kind of gone viral. And in it, he talks about connection. And in order to do that, he actually talks about something that you know, I'm sure is on the front of all of our minds right now. Let's talk about Rat Park, all right? What he began to cite was a, a study that he came across in the 1970s where this professor, um, he, he began to put, he had rats and he had them isolated and he had them in a cage. Um, and he had two bottles of water that could be dispensed for the rat to go, go to. One had regular tap water in it. All right, so when the rat got thirsty, go get some water. Um, the other had water mixed with either heroin or cocaine, all right? Over and over and over again, the rat was like, I don't want the tap water. I want the water that has the drugs in it to the point that he would drink it. The rat would drink it compulsively to the point where the rat would overdose and the rat would die. And this experiment was repeated time and time again. And it's like, yeah like the addictive nature of drugs and how all this works and okay. And so a lot of conclusions were drawn. But this guy decided, you know what? Let me do something a little bit different. Let me create a rat park, which I know just sounds amazing, right? You're like, I want one of those for my house. But um, let me create this habitat, this space where they're not rats isolated from one another, but rather they're there together and they have little like objects to like run around and go in and play and have a lot of food. And in that same space, we will have the water dispenser of regular tap water, and we will have the water dispenser that is mixed with heroin or cocaine. What he found in this experiment is that the rats that previously would have just gone for the drugs over and over again to the point that they would actually kill themselves, 
in Rat Park, it didn't happen. It was very rare that one of the rats would actually go to the drug-infused water. Rather, the rat would just go when he was thirsty and he would get the regular water. And so some conclusions that were drawn, and Johann Hari, as he begins to talk about this, he says maybe everything we've thought about addiction and, and connection and community is actually at least a bit misguided. It's not to say that drugs don't have addictive properties, because they do, but the point was this. That study in the 1970s led to a line of thinking that was this. What if we've underestimated the power of connection, of bonding, of being connected to one another? What if the rats, as weird as this sounds, were actually teaching us something about how we've been designed to live? Now, these are secular studies, but what we know as the church is we open up the Bible and we read the opening pages where it says it's not good for man to be alone and that God says he made us in his image. He says, I'll make him in our image, that there's this communal nature of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God exists in community. And if you're made in his image, and I'm made in his image, and every person that's ever lived has been made in his image, and every person who will ever live has been made in the image and likeness of God, it means we are designed, our very nature is for connection and for community. And so this studies and these TED Talks and all of it points to this reality. And so there's this phrase, and maybe you've heard this before, Johan, he said this toward the end of his talk, his concluding statement was, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, the opposite of addiction is connection. Now perhaps he was oversimplified, I don't wanna be the expert on all that, but he's tapped into a truth that there's something powerful that happens when we experience that sense of connection, of belonging that we're created for. And secular studies about rats may showcase some of that, but what we have is something so much better. We have the God of the universe who in love communicates to us, here's how you're to live, here's what it looks like to cultivate connection. And there's all kinds of side benefits to that. In fact, in a 2019 TED Talk by the same guy, he speaks of his own battle with addictions, his own battle with depression, and one of the things that he found as he began talking to other people, what was helpful to him is that at the end of the day, yes, there are chemical imbalances that lead to uh, depression, there, that is true, there can be medications that can help with that, yes and amen to all of those things, but also, if you just focus on the physiological and the biological independent of relational connection with other people, you oftentimes still end up depressed. What you are created for is to be connected to one of the people. And so Johan actually spoke of his own story of just like, yes, I had all these treatments that I was doing, but it wasn't until I actually found a community that I began to actually come out of this season of anxiety and of depression. Like there's this power that happens but what we're gonna explore over the next four weeks is not simply just at a kind of a secular level of like, oh, well, that, that's fascinating. But God in his design, he wants us to experience a sense of belonging and of connection vertically with him, horizontally with one another, that the church, if we're going to bear witness to the reality of this life-changing gospel, it's gotta be present here. Like before we would even think about being this mission and sent out, like how are we doing caring for one another, loving one another, pursuing one another? What if we took God's invitation and command seriously about these statements? I'll, let, me, let me read these to you. Let's think about this for a moment. Like what if we began to embody these things by the power of the Holy Spirit? 
And over the next few weeks, we're gonna explore many of these. I'll just read some of them. Here's what we see in the scriptures. The calling. You're members of one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Edify one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That starts next week. Get ready. Social distancing somehow. I don't know how we'll figure that out, okay? Agree with one another. Wait for one another. Have equal concern for one another. Serve one another in love. Carry one another's burdens. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Esteem one another. Do not lie to each other or to one another. Bear with each other. Teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another. Not every so often. Not when you feel like it. Encourage one another daily. The writer of Hebrews tells us. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Love one another deeply from the heart. Offer hospitality to one another. Fellowship with one another. Can you imagine for a moment if we here as the church began to embody those things, we won't do it perfectly. But do you imagine the joy we would find? Imagine the connection that we would find. Imagine the, that sense of belonging. In fact, us just talking about this, this is not, like, well, what random thing can we talk about here for a sermon series? But our mission statement is pointing our communities to Jesus so that people would know God, that they would find freedom, that they would experience belonging, and that they would be about the work of seeking renewal. As a part of it, as a staff, as a church, we've been talking through and praying through, looking at all that 2020 was and knowing there is so much isolation. Like pre-2020, one of the biggest threats to American culture, what were called like deaths of despair, meaning all of the addictions, all of uh, just the amount of anxiety that was crippling to the point where people like suicide rates were up, all kinds of terrible things that were happening broadly in the culture. And that was pre-pandemic. And what we've experienced over the past many months now, even if we're fighting for connection and community, the reality is like it's hard and so there's increased isolation. And we as the church, not just when the pandemic ends, but right here, right now, are called to live these things out. Read a really helpful book in preparation for this series and I want us to keep this image in mind, Larry Crabb wrote a book that years ago it was called The Safest Place on Earth. It was retitled Becoming a Spiritual Community. So if you look for that book, it might be titled under both Becoming a True Spiritual Community. And he says the picture, and we'll get this right here right, right now, is we tend, all right, and I know this is more kind of like lecture format, we tend to picture like sitting in chairs in church and it's kind of like we're all looking here and you're staring at the, the back of the head of somebody else. But he's like, what if bit by bit, what if we turned our chairs toward each other? I know that's sort of a simple image, but I want us to be thinking about that. I want that to help drive, not just for the next four weeks in this series, but as an objective, as a mission, as something that we want you to know, even as your, your leadership here, like we're trying to press into more and more fully in 2021, calling you all to this. What would it look like instead of just staying isolated, but to turn your chair. 
to begin to face people, to begin to see one another, to pay attention to the cares, to the celebrations, to the needs. It is so, the default of my heart is inward. Let me look in, what's in it for me? Am I, how, how am I perceived? How are people gonna respond to me? Will they like this? What will they not? But the gospel frees us up to begin to look out, to turn our chairs toward each other and say, I see you and I need you and I believe in God's beautiful design, you need me, not because I'm awesome, but because we are created to need one another. So that's what we're gonna to explore together. And to help us do that for this, this first week is gonna be more of, a, of an introduction. I wanna invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And then in the ensuing weeks, we'll kind of look at these one another statements and group them into some larger themes. But for this morning, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're gonna look at the first eight verses together this morning. And as always, you can go to cpwp.life and click on the message notes. And for the kids, Good to have you guys. Um, you should have some sermon notes, all right? And so after the service, all right, I would love to see your sermon notes. I'll be out by the front doors. You can come bring those to me. We've got a prize uh, for you, all right? Those of you that are watching online, we haven't forgotten about you. Take some notes. You can email those to me, all right? Jamie at cpwp.org, and we can send you something this week. But let me go ahead and read Romans chapter 12, verses one to eight, and then we'll work our way for just a few moments through this great text the Apostle Paul has just written 11 chapters, all right, of just laying out the beauty of the gospel. Like, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, but Jesus has made us alive. He's made us resurrection people. We belong to him. And as he kind of turns a corner here, it's not to forget about that, but now it's this call. In light of all of that, what, what is that? What bearing does that have on your life and in my life and on our life collectively as the church? So Paul says this, I appeal. It's interesting, it's not a command. He's like, I'm just imploring you, like join in. This is the best possible way to live. Like this is God's design. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and it's my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. And so I think in the, this text, for just a few moments here, they call us to an upward, there's an upward call. I think there's an inward call in the best possible sense, and then there is an outward call. So look, look up, in, and then out. And so the Apostle Paul starts out with this upward call. He's been talking about the beauty of the gospel, and he still connects it to the gospel, and he says, all right, by the mercies of God, 
here's your response. If we're gonna be the church that Jesus has called us to be, if we're going to love one another, be devoted to one another, serve one another, forgive one another, like exist in unity, all of that, to bear witness to a watching world, what it looks like when the gospel is like put on display, it starts with embracing this upward call. So Paul says, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. It's all about the mercy of God. Mercy is like not getting what you deserve. You and I all deserve death and said Jesus died in our place. So by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is very weird language. Maybe you've read this before and you just kind of skim over. Just think about it for a moment. What happens to a sacrifice? The animal would be brought in, this lamb or a bird or, or whatever, like, and it would die. So for one, it would happen and then it'd be over, but it's dead. The language here really is a call to a living death. So not just a one-time thing, like the animal that got brought in, it's done, then you, you, you leave the, the temple, but rather in everyday life, everywhere you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called, this living sacrifice means a living death. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow after him. If we're gonna be the church that Jesus has called us to be, it's going to take this, a living death, meaning I die to my preferences, I die uh, to like my time constraints, my schedule, I die to so many things in order to serve other people. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the Christian life, he says, is different. It's harder on the one hand and it's easier, he says. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work, I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree downed. So hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And that's what Paul's talking about at the end of these, these first couple of verses. So we might discern what is the will of the Lord. And so there's a call, and here's the difficulty of it. It's a call that is not super popular. If we're going to experience the life that God has for us, it starts with a death. It's my will being put to death. And God in his grace says, I'll kill that off so that I can birth something new. And then the Apostle Paul says this. So what's our call upwardly? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So everywhere you go, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God, and as he'll tell us in a few moments, you also belong to one another. Like, you don't get to call the shots anymore. There's a higher authority. You're not on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, and we submit to his will and to his word, and this is what we're to follow. And so he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now that gets translated as spiritual, and it kind of sounds like this floating, ethereal, just sort of thing. There's actually a better way to, to translate that. Commentators and scholars will say, listen, it's actually, what he's saying is rational worship. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, this is, which is your rational worship. Paul is just laying it out very logically for us. God has done everything for you. 
He has done everything for me. I am literally dead, condemned to hell on my own. I got no hope, I got nothing. Like this world is the closest to heaven I'll ever get apart from Christ. And so our rational worship is to just simply stop for a moment and be like, the God of the universe has pursued me. He's made me his son or daughter. He's welcomed me in. I don't have to endure the judgment. I don't have to endure the wrath. Like the only rational conclusion is, God, what do you want? I'm here to worship you. I love you. I want to serve you. I want to serve your church. I want to serve your people. Like the irrational thing is to continue doing our own thing. It doesn't make any sense. If you just think about it for a moment, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if there is a God and he has done all of this, like there's no way that we can go to him and say, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about your law here. I don't know about your command here. I'll, I'll take this, but I'll, I don't like this so much. No, the only response is rational worship. That doesn't mean cerebral, but it simply means it's the only thing that makes sense if he has done all of this. And then Paul says, be transformed then by the renewal of your mind. Now, for grammar lesson for just a moment, which I know all of us love, we can read that first part, be transformed. Like, okay, I gotta do it. This is Paul's way of saying 2021, you know, new year, new you. All right, let's do this, let's get some goals. That's the furthest thing from the truth. It is a passive imperative, which means it's a command, but it's also, you're not the one doing it. Like something's being done to you. There's an opening yourself up to say, I want the Lord to transform me. And it's from the inside out. This word transform shows up a couple of different times. One of which is in the gospel accounts, the transfiguration of Jesus. Do you remember this? He goes up on the, on the hillside and he's got a couple of the disciples with him and there's like, he just starts to radiate and Peter didn't know what to do. He's like, I don't know, should I set up a camp? Right? He doesn't know what's happening. It's this glow that just sort of like emanates from him. It's, the picture here is a life that's transformed like from the inside out. Be transformed and then by, by how? How does this actually happen? He says, by the renewal of your mind. And so yes, again, it's back to this sort of logical worship a bit, but it's more than that. Renewing your mind is not simply gathering more facts, reading more books. It speaks to the imagination. It's actually a call back to worship. You get transformed, as the scriptures tell us, you and I become what we worship. We're not just thinking beings, all right? Like, Jamie Smith, in a lot of his books, one of them is called You Are What You Love, says at the end of the day, like, we're lovers, we're worshipers. We become that which we worship. And the call, the rational response is to worship God. And in doing so, you'll be transformed more and more into his image. So there's the upward call. Now look with me at verse three. So if we're gonna be this community, if we're gonna be one where we would experience belonging with one another, we have to look up, and there is a call to look in. All right, verse three says this. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This could be taken the wrong way because there's enough kind of pop psychology that's out there that's just like, yeah, look in, the journey in, that, you know, that's where you'll find the answer. I've spent about, 
I spent enough time on the journey within to know it's pretty jacked up in there, right? Like that's not going to get me out of this mess. Like that's actually where the problem is. So it's, it's not a call to that, but rather it is a, it's a call to look, maybe a way to think about it is this, is that do you have a sober assessment of yourself? For one, the gospel humbles us because it says you're a sinner in need of God's grace. You're dead. At the same time, it emboldens us and empowers us because it says the God of the universe was willing to pursue you, to love you, to bring you back into the family. You're accepted, you belong. So there's this tension. Like we don't get too despairing, even as we look at our, our sin, but we also don't get full of ourselves because at the end of the day, I'm not awesome. Jesus is awesome and he, he makes us more like him, but it's all by God's grace. That's why Paul says, For by the grace given to me. You know, Paul's view of himself is all because of grace. He has a sober account of himself. I read a really fascinating book this past week called Cheer Up. It's a biography of a pastor by the name of Jack Miller. And if you don't know him, that's fine. I don't have time to go into his whole life. Just know this, much of his teaching, much of his influence is found throughout just our church. It's been very, very influential. And there's a couple lines that he would often use, and this gets to sober assessment, sober judgment, that he would tell people, hey, cheer up. You are far worse than you think. That's part of having just this, this sober judgment because at the end of the day, what Paul is saying about the measure, it's like the standard is Christ. It's not to compare yourself to other people. Because if you do that, you can either get discouraged or you can get puffed up with pride. She's like, oh, I'm way better than that person. Did you see them? What, you see what they posted the other day? It's crazy, right? No, the, the standard is Christ. The measure of faith, that's what it's speaking of. And in his biography, he just spoke of these words like, cheer up. You're far worse than, than you think. But paired with that, the other side of the coin, cheer up. God's grace is far greater than you ever dared hope. That's the beautiful tension we get to live in. I'm completely messed up on my own. And yet, there's a God that pursues. Now, when, that, when we realize that, that sort of vertical relationship we have with our God, and then we think about our need for connection and all the impact of that, you realize, right, it's not possible to have healthy, flourishing community if you're full of yourself. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not full of myself. In fact, I, I'm kind of down on myself. Here's the thing, both are pride. Both are pride. You're either puffed up thinking you're awesome or if you're constantly thinking about how terrible you are, all this happened and this, that, and you're the victim and everything, you're also full of pride. Because who are you thinking about? You're not thinking about God, you're not thinking about your neighbor, you're thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. And the gospel frees, so Paul's just saying, listen, you wanna have community? He's gonna tell us in just a couple verses from here, like we're members of one another, here's how to flourish as a community, but it's gotta have, you gotta have a sober assessment. So realize who God is, worship him, the standard is Jesus. At the end of the day, you look at that, you're like, wow, it humbles me, but it also emboldens me because I realize he's invited me in. And so we'll end with, with this. This kind of just sets the stage for the coming weeks. There's way more here than we have time to get into, but I'll just read these verses four to eight. For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And then Paul begins to say, 
There's different gifts according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. And then he lists out prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation and generosity and leadership and acts of mercy. And the point isn't, wow, there's the exhaustive list of all the gifts. Because some of you might be looking at me like, oh, I don't know if I have any of those. The lists in the Bible are just examples. This is not an exhaustive list. The big idea and what I want us to hear is this, that first, there's one body in Christ. There's a unity that's made possible because we are the body of Christ and Jesus is the head. He is the head of the body, the church. That's what Colossians 1 speaks of. The reason he's the head, the reason he's in charge is because he's God, you're not, and I'm not, and he actually lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He's the one who's upholding everything right now. Like, we want him as the head. But we are the body and we play a particular role. And so then Paul lays this out and he says, you are actually members of one another. Not only do you belong to God, not only have you been purchased by God, but you are members of one another. And so I want us to think through this, not only this morning, but in the coming weeks and throughout this year, let's keep coming back to this. Do you honestly see yourself that way? I wanna view myself as like, no, 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 like it's about me, and then if I need these other people. But if we're members of one another, it means that you, in essence, get to call some shots in my life and vice versa. Like, not in some sort of power trip way, but rather like, oh no, there's an obligation. But not, not in a way that robs us of life, but rather actually gives us life. Like, we belong to one another. You've been created for that. And do you view your life that way? Or do you view it in this hyper, hyper like radical individualism that is just running rampant not only out in the culture, but also in the church. And the call is to die to self. The call is to see what Jesus has done. And the call is to realize we belong to one another. And you're gonna shape me and I'm gonna shape you. And we're gonna shape one another. We're gonna turn our chairs toward one another and we're gonna get invested in one another. And in doing so, bit by bit, we will become the church that Jesus has called us to be. And it won't be easy. If you've tried to foster community amongst Christians for more than five minutes, you know that it's hard. We're not talking about an idealized picture of community. It doesn't exist. We're talking about the flesh and blood reality that's empowered by the Spirit. It's gonna take a lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness. There's gonna be a lot of misunderstandings, but we're gonna pursue one another. We're gonna encourage one another. We're gonna challenge one another. We're gonna speak the truth in love. We're gonna do all of the, those things because this is what we're invited into. And then the, the Apostle Paul says, so use your gifts, are you stewarding? And here's the deal, even 10 seconds ago I just said, your gifts. That's actually not really accurate, right? Are you stewarding God's gifts? He's the one that's given the abilities. He's the one that's given the finances. He's the one that's given the time. He's the one that's given the existing relationships that, that you have. He's given you your personality. He's given you your intellect. He's given you your emotions. He's given all of it. And the call is not to hoard it. The call is to see ourselves as stewards and not as owners of literally everything that we have. My life does not belong to me. Everything 
screams at me all the time, including my own heart and its sinfulness, no, 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 it's your life. You gotta get yours and it's about you. But the call, if we really wanna experience belonging, is to realize that is counter community. Like that, that won't actually take place. That will kill community. That'll kill connection. There won't be any sense of belonging until we realize, no, no, like by God's grace I belong to him and he's made it possible to belong to one another. So let me encourage us in, in this. As we think about all of this, as we think about the, the call, there's so many different places that we could go and it's already, Paul's already alluded to it and said it pretty clearly at the beginning of chapter 12 by the mercies of God. But what begins in the gospel, let's make sure we, we conclude with that. Because everything, again, you're gonna leave here and you're gonna be like, yes, all right, belonging, I wanna belong to one another. And the moment you hit the parking lot or the moment you turn off this live stream or whatever it looks like for you right now, there's gonna be competing messages saying, Look, forget about all that, that's impractical, you don't have time for that, you'll get around to that at some other time. So what are we gonna do? Like, where's the power going to come from to actually seek to live this out? Because I can't do it in my own strength. And Paul, in another letter, in the letter to the Philippians, he says this in Philippians chapter two, verses four to eight. Here's the call. You wanna know what to look to? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, you wanna know where the power comes from? I don't know what's gonna renew your mind is every single day going back and saying, Jesus, your mind, your disposition, your posture, your, like what you embodied, what you lived out is you didn't grasp what actually rightfully belonged to you, but rather you emptied yourself. Jesus became a destroyed sacrifice that you and I could be a living sacrifice. Jesus emptied himself so that we could actually be full. Jesus has made it possible for you and I to actually be in community with one another and to have this experience of belonging. So church, may we embody these things. May there be a humility. Would we look to the interests of others? And let's remember what Jesus has done. To help us in that, we're gonna respond in worship through song. We're gonna respond in worship in, by participating in this meal that the Lord has given to us. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're here in person, after I pray, the worship team's gonna come up where it, let's sing. You can stand, you can stay seated, whatever you wanna do, but at some point, come up. If you're a follower of Jesus, come and get the elements on either side of the stage and take them back to your seat. If you're watching online, participating, if you're a follower of Jesus, go get elements there in your home and gather, gather those together, and then I'll call us back in a few moments and we'll participate in this together. It's a meal, it's a unifying meal. I pray that it will be used this morning to remind us afresh and anew that we belong to one another. You're not doing this in isolation. It's actually happening as a body. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you.
for your word, your encouragement, your challenge. Thank you that you've rescued us, redeemed us. Thank you that we belong to you through your son. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would lead us in repentance even now, all the ways that we've been selfish, all the ways that we've sought just our own interests. And I pray that we would repent of that, that we would begin to see ourselves as living sacrifices, that we would daily be willing to take up our cross and to sacrifice because we know, Jesus, you've made the ultimate sacrifice. May that empower us to love and to serve and to be devoted to one another. God, I pray that this, this year, we don't know where things are gonna go, what it all is gonna look like, but I do pray, God, that we as a church would experience more and more belonging. And that that wouldn't be us sitting back waiting for other people to make that happen, but that we collectively, that we would, that we would seek to live that out, that we'd seek to help other people belong, that we would focus on that. And as we do that, we'll get our sense of belonging along the way. So God, give us a right perspective on all these things. And God, I pray now is um, so thankful we get to worship you through song, through this meal. I pray, God, that you would get your glory and that we would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.